You're listening to the Versus Node podcast, presented by GamerNode.com. Welcome to episode 57 of the Versus Node podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Anzotto, editor-in-chief of GamerNode.com, and I'm here with some really happy gamers. We've got Jason Finelli. How are you, Jason? I am fantastic, and I didn't realize this was episode 57, or I would have prepared a ketchup joke. We are now on <laughs> ketchup. 57 varieties of Versus Node. Absolutely. And we also have with us today... Sinan Kubba, our old friend from the Big Red Potion. How are you, sir? Very good. I can't beat the Heinz 57 reference. I, all I had was, like, uh, Game of Node 57, A Podcast Awakens, which is, like, <laughs> not even quite right, so... It's because it's got a 7 in there. <laughs> it's not really good enough, is it? Um, uh, we'll accept it. Yeah. I've eaten a lot so, more ketchup than, than watched Star Wars, so I guess that's where our mind's at. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. So, how's your silly season going? <laughs> Playing a lot of games? Oh, there's so many. So many games. I I cannot keep track. From like the middle of October to now has just been constant review games. Although, I did have a lull for the last week. I had a little lull where I could play something and scratch something off my backlog that has been bugging me. For years, and we'll get to that. Oh, this is so exciting. That's interesting. How about you, Sinan, playing a lot of stuff? Actually, you know, it's funny for me, even though it is silly season, I'm playing a lot of games. I feel like I'm playing a bit less now because the games that are coming out at the moment, except for Dragon Age, when it comes out later, are quite shorter things compared to what I played earlier in the year. I was playing like Bravely Default, Dark Souls 2, mm-hmm. Divinity Original Sin. So like, I still think I plunged more hours into the first half of the year than I have into the second half. But, but maybe you've complete, you've gotten through well, more yeah, but, individual items. Now. Yeah, I think I, I, I think in uh, yeah, it's not that many games that I played in the first half of the year. It's just a lot of hours, uh, and then Dragon Age is going to completely ruin that. Obviously, couldn't. So. <laughs> yeah, Gee, may I, I I do not. If you're a completionist, I do not envy you starting Dragon Age Inquisition. Jeez. I yeah, I I, I talked to the uh, the producer about it. I, I asked him about the whole 150 hours thing that he mentioned at Gamescom, and I was like, "So what is that exactly?" And he go, went through it. I was like, "Oh shit, uh, that's all the stuff I probably will do." Crap, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I long ago already. I've uh, I've gotten over being a completionist. I used to be all about that, but now it's like I have to go beginning to end, have my experience, and and that's it's. That done um except for the souls game very rare <laughs> very rare is the game where i feel compelled to keep playing after i've beaten it there's just too much right too much out there for me actually i think so, we've had this conversation before i remember had a, having a big repression i i what i'm a completionist up until the point where i finished the game yes so I'll, oh, okay. I'll play it like a completionist then once i've beaten the game i'll stop caring about the things which i've been working towards, like, you know, collecting all the flags in Assassin's Creed or something yeah. stupid, which is the most counterintuitive way of playing a game, but I'm <laughs> already reasonably from the first five minutes of this podcast, I'm not very smart. Well, we know that you like to break games. I we do, do know like that to from, break games. from history. <laughs> I like to break a lot of things. I'm just a very disruptive person. I don't know why you've invited me. So, oh, no. <laughs> so developers... Don't break the podcast. I want the recording to come out okay. 
Any developers that listen to this, put all of your extra stuff in between the beginning and the end, or else the three of us are most likely not going to do it. No. Developers, put all the extra stuff after the game's over so I don't have to ever worry about it. Thank you. <laughs> Just make every Much game two hours long. That would be really great. I'd be so uh-huh. <laughs> I often wonder what the ideal amount of time for a game is, but maybe we can delve into that some other day. Today we're just going to talk about what we've been playing. We're following up on last podcast and going to keep this sort of a theme going forward um, so that we can try to get these out more frequently, um, which this one isn't, but <laughs> we're aiming for the future. Um, so I guess we'll start with Sunan. Our guest, oh, awesome. what what have you been playing? Uh, so I've really been playing two games uh, of of late. Uh, outside of Fiat Rhythm, which I played for a ridiculous amount of time because that's just one of those Moorish games where you go, "Ooh, double S on this thing that I don't honestly care about, but I have to get triple S. I just have to." Oh yeah. So um, I plunged at dozens of hours into that game and love it but it's you know i already knew i loved it because it's just a re-release so there's an absolutely zero point talking i mean it's not (laughs) re-release but you know what i mean like it's the same game from last year uh so i've been playing two games and i'll I'll start with the one that both you and me have been playing which is the evil within Mm. um this this caught me off guard as a game because i played it at a preview event um right four or five months ago and i played a couple of sections and both those sections were very Resident Evil 4-like, like really properly Resident Evil 4-like. And I, I, and, and I, she, I don't know if it's I didn't really explore the controls properly or I didn't really, you know, take in, take, get the atmosphere of the game right. But, you know, it felt a lot like just going around this mansion for one of them and, you know, finding puzzles and, you know, shooting zombies. Uh, and um, this other level was... Uh, even more like a Resident Evil 4 was, you know, kind of one of those uh, set pieces where you're stuck in a room and the zombies are coming towards you. And, you know, you've only got so much limited space. Um, so I was, you know, thinking like, oh, this is kind of a, a maybe a more mature Resident Evil 4. And, it, and in some ways it is trying to be a more mature Resident Evil 4. But uh, the thing is, I didn't, what I didn't get from those sessions, and I'm sure, Eddie, we can get into it, um, is it's how stealthy a game it was. Uh, mm. And stealth is is this huge part of the game, uh, it, 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 to the point where you know I think throughout most of it I was going around crouching. Uh, oh really? Yeah, like like properly going around crouching because uh, I didn't I didn't want to run into traps. I didn't want to um, you know uh, alert zombies like or, or just there were lots of bits where I, I I there were very few times I felt safe. Not you know not, not treating like a stealth game, um, and at the same time, uh, it, it's difficult because I, I I want to talk about the other game that I've been playing, which I think does a better job of being a stealth game. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it it that's where one of my problems was is that I enjoyed it more as, as a stealth game, which is it, it's very much like in the first few sections, and then towards the end it just becomes a bit more like a traditional Resident Evil Four, like, you know, where you're just going around and shooting because you've got loads of weapons by this point and you, you're pretty charged up. You know, you've, you've boosted up your character. Uh, the game hasn't necessarily got any harder. So uh, that was one aspect of it which I wasn't expecting. I think what disappointed me... Uh, let, me, let, me get, let, me, let me say what I liked about it. I think it feels good. Like, the, 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 the combat 
very close to what you'd expect from a Resident Evil game. You know, uh, you feel like Mikami's touches in there with how the weapons feel and how, you know, uh, the the variety of weapons and 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 the different enemies and, and how much they sort of demand you to think and and use your different weapons uh, differently. Um, I liked the idea of a psychological horror, but I think it falls down on on being a bit confused whether it's a self game or an action game and how hideously bad the storytelling is. I mean, it's really bad, really bad, and I mean, like not in a <laughs> not in a good Resident Evil Four sort of um, you know, oh, it's charmingly silly way. Like this is just a bad story with like boring characters and nothing to really grapple to, and and yet it's trying to deal with these complicated like you know ideas of uh virtual reality and 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 uh you know manipulating emotions and all this stuff and it's just it's a so it doesn't know what it is i think is it's my biggest problem with this game it, it it's trying to be a lot of things and and at the end of the day maybe it would have been simpler if it was just you know another resident evil 4 which i think a lot of people see more of that in than i do but i i, I think maybe the stealth and the poor story just kind of leads me away and and I maybe expected a little bit more and maybe, you know, it's been 11 years since Resident Evil 4 or whatever and, you know, you can't just say, oh, it plays like Resident Evil 4 and, and uh, say it's a good thing. But hey, I know you, I know you, Eddie, like it a lot more than I do, so um, I'm eager to hear what you have to think. Uh, I do. I, I, I kind of like it a lot and I'm curious about your, your emphasis on really bad story because, I mean, I, I agree that it's not a great story, but for me, I almost... It's almost like I zone out on a lot of the story bits because it's basically incoherent at this point. <laughs> it, it's almost like there is no story to me, even though there's a lot of the the, the documentation and the little flashbacks and things like that. And for me, it's the the quote unquote story bits are are more about how they're presented to you visually than what they're actually saying. Well, I think I think that's an interesting point, but I think. Um it's very easy to use that as that approach as a cop-out. And I feel like uh, a lot of Evil Within does its storytelling in a very cop-out way, which is giving you, like you say, the documents which have this tiny little note about some guy who's gone missing or your, you know, your past, uh, your diary. And, and when you have actual, the actual cutscenes in the, in the game, which detail the characters, give you any sort of idea of these, of these characters, you know, uh, like your partner, this, this, uh, woman rookie uh the guy who's actually behind all this like it's just there's no good acting there it's all very short and blunt and and you know you're having to infer an awful lot and really you're having to mm-hmm. go to the documents to infer these characteristics about the guy like there's nothing in the game that tells you that the that your partner for example is this kind of strong-headed guy you have to go to the documents really to get an idea of that or or or, or this woman is you know a bit troublesome and doesn't seem to listen to you like it's it's you don't seem to get that from the actual game you have to be reading these stupid diary notes so um i think what disappointed me is the most i got out of the story was like you said these kind of visceral moments where you uh like very early on and it was this is a level i played in the preview you um you are sort of in this kind of residential area near the uh, which you know uh, is near where everything is going on um, and you're with the doctor and the patient and uh, you go down a corridor with them and then you see this, the hooded figure, the villain guy uh, and you look back and the, the doctor and the patient are gone 
and then the hooded guy's there, and then he's gone, and then you run towards a door, and the door disappears, and you're back in the same corridor, but looking the other way. And there's all this kind of sort of visceral manipulation of, uh, you know, just trying to mess around with you and screw around with you. And that's, I like that, but they need, you can't just keep throwing that at the player, and that's what this game does. It yeah. needs to have some substance there. And I, and I think I just expected a little bit more maturity, which is maybe naive, because it's, you know, at the end of the day, Mikami has never been one for like much depth, but it just it seemed like it had the potential, and uh, I think it could have been a much better story. Like there's the basis there for a good story. Yeah, That's I find that there I was disappointed a lot by how things were told to me. Like there would be a snippet that I was like, oh, that could be really interesting to start an arc, and then it would just kind of like be executed in in a very simplistic way yeah. uh, as opposed to going into anything with any depth but as for the let's call them the, the psychological horror moments uh those 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 times that it messes with you i, I really love that um and i always have and that, that part reminds me of older silent hill games right i feel like it's a blend of all of these aspects of of these horror games that existed you know, decades ago, that were never combined. They were kind of always kept separate. You had the Silent Hill franchise, and then you had the Resident Evil franchise. And I like how it draws those two things together. Um, and I, I enjoy playing the game itself. Like, the actual moment-to-moment gameplay for me is uh, enjoyable as well, because I think, uh, mechanically, it it plays well. Yeah. Uh, one thing that you did say, though, is... You know, you mentioned stealth, and I noticed there's a lot of stealth, but for me it was like stealth sections almost, and for a lot of the game I didn't play, like you were saying, in this uh, in this state of, of suspense. I kind of ran through a lot more closely to, you know, what I might have done in, in Resident Evil 4, which is just kind of strolling through, shotgunning people in the face, uh, burning their bodies until I ran out of ammo, and then kind of getting into a little bit more sticky situation and fighting my way out of that or, or whatever. Uh, I imagine that the way that you played is much wiser, and you have a lot more resources <laughs> by, the time, by the time you get into the end game. And, and I kind of found that toward the end, it, it became a little bit more difficult, probably because I was uh, not playing it correctly, as I think you may have been. Oh, I uh, don't know. That was the I, intention. I, I'm, I'm not sure ever really strongly communicated that you need to to be super stealthy i mean there are the traps and things but there is definitely that that room to play it more like an action game which you know is uh again something we the resident evil series is is diced with in this uh over over i I, it's so difficult to escape the resident evil thing so i wanted to kind of bring it to something else actually which i sort of interesting when you talk about you know going back in time and combining these horror tropes one thing that it reminded me about uh was uh, it made me think of of very old games because it had and this and another game that I'm playing has this and I'll get into it later but just like a really archaic saving and checkpointing system mm-hmm. which um just is very flawed and ill contrived and I don't know if it's something that about survival horror or you know stealthy games that requires this uh because this other game like i say uses it but you know you manually save at points there are manual save points which i don't understand in a game in 2014 but fine whatever you're gonna do it fine uh but it also auto saves but it it chooses very weird points to auto save and Hmm. you know like for one section it'll be like a couple of minutes 
for another section, it'll be you know, 15 minutes. And oh. you'll just have to go repeat the whole thing from the beginning if you fucked up right near the end. And I always find that very aggravating and annoying. Um, it was, it's, it's something I didn't find aggravating before checkpointing and automatic saving became a bit more common in games. But now that you see other games doing it more elegantly, when you go back to kind of old school thing where you don't really know where the autosave is going to be, like it's, it's quite off-putting and annoying, especially when you have the manual save thing and end up doing what I did quite a lot, which was, you know, going... Uh, doing a bit and then rushing back to the manual save point to make sure I didn't have to do that bit again and then going back and then doing a bit more and like, okay, done that now. Now I can go back. To, which is just not a good way of playing a game. Like, if you're going to make someone manually save, give them a, 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 a quick button or something at least, you know, not a physical save point. I think that that type of save system is uh, important for the genre, actually. I, I think that maybe not maybe not important that it has to be that way, but I think that incorporating a save system like that has a definite effect on how a person approaches the atmosphere that they're placed in and, and things change psychologically for you if you have that sort of system. And, and I think that's why it was developed. I mean, aside from technical limitations, but I think like the specifics of like the ink ribbon um, of having limited number of saves and, and only saving in this very um, designated safe haven of a room, you know, same thing. Just like with the music that would play in the save room and I did Resident like that. Aspect of the music here you have Swan Lake, you know, that plays when you when you uh, get to your save rooms or or the the room that connects you back to your sort of hub where you're allowed to save and take care of your upgrades and such. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, and, I can, and it's I can interesting understand that. It's also interesting that you say that you ended up doing that, going back to the rooms, and didn't like it, because another game that I also love that incorporates something very similar to that are the Souls games, where you have to go back and say, you know, spend your souls for fear of losing them, and you find yourself doing a bit and going back and doing a bit and going back, and I thought that it really added to the atmosphere in those games as well. And I always drew a, a parallel to horror games in the Souls games, and I, I think that was one aspect that um, really made that feel that way. There's a crucial difference, though, between the Souls games and this system, and that when you go back to your bonfire and, and save, you respawn the enemies. So essentially mm -hmm. you are saying, okay, now I go back to square one again, but I'm a little bit stronger. Or, you know, yeah. it, it's like banking um, right. the souls. I think that's what makes a key difference to me. Which, that reminded me. So this is the one, this is to kind of encapsulate how bad the story is. In, in, and, I, and I don't want to get people wrong. I, I'm okay with this game. I don't dislike it. I just have my issues because I think I expected a bit more. Um, but, but so with the saving, the Swan Lake thing is beautiful. I really like that how that comes up and every single you know room where you're in and, and how that's a recurring theme. It's a really good piece of music to choose and it, and it suits the game. Um, but the fact that he never seems to really question that when you know he's staring into this mirror, he's stared into this mirror like thirty or forty times by the end of the game because that's you know that's how you say you, you stare in this mirror mm. and he gets transported to this uh, psychiatric ward where this nurse is and there's a typewriter and he goes and saves and then he stares back into the mirror and goes back into the to the horror game world and at no point does he seem to question this as being like a little bit weird. Wait, what? <laughs> it's really <laughs> strange. It's like. Dude, like, and he sort of, at some point he goes, I knew it. Or like, oh God, yeah. this again? It's like, where's the internal monologue? I guess monologue? continue. Like, <laughs> like, he's like, he, I think at some point he even goes like, there are some really bad one-liners he has. Like when he's escaping a group of zombies, he goes, oh, that was close. It's like, oh my God. It's like, just, 
<laughs> That's no. the thing that you comment on. <laughs> it's like you're in this whole situation. You're like oh, I'm just gonna go with it, I guess. It, but it, it, it's just like it was a normal day for him at the office. Just you yeah. know, where you're transported between worlds and are facing the undead and. Maybe you know that is his normal world. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why the story makes no sense because this is just a normal world for Sebastian Castellanos. Uh, so have you finished is. the game? I have finished the game. Um, okay. And I, I, it's. I want to play a sequel, but I would really like it if it was handled by some other studio, maybe or, or not even Mikami. Like I just, I, I don't think necessarily at this point I, I need to be playing the same kind of Mikami combat in, you know, I, I can, I can see, I, I'd like to see more experimentation around that. Um, yeah. But if someone's looking for that, if someone's looking for Resident Evil 4, it's like, this is, this is your game to go to. Yeah, this, this is year. about it's as far off as it feels. This is the one, if you're that old school Resident Evil fan. Yeah. Uh, you're going to get at least something out of it. Now, I do have one question. You were saying earlier that it tries to be more mature in Resident Evil. Do you mean an overall story arc? Like it's yeah, more totally. Mature... Um, so, 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 take Resident Evil 4, for example. It's, I think... I, I go back and forth on this, but I think Capcom is knowingly campy in that game. And I think you have yeah, to give them like, the benefit of the doubt. Like they've realized by that point where the series is. And it's just... It's not quite... It's it you can't take it too seriously, so um, you know things like the 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 small like guide dwarf guy and some of the some of the enemies and some of the locations and some of the Ashley character and just some of the tropes that it, it, it knowingly plays around with. Uh, so there's that kind of charm to, to the Resident Evil Four story. It's almost like it's it almost a sort of so bad it's good element thing. Um, with with Evil Within, there's none of that. Like there's no none of that sort of campy charm to it uh it it just it feels like it's trying to deal with this complex idea of um you know being stuck in someone else's like uh mind and 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 him being able to manipulate it and manipulate you and confuse you and there is like some very dark themes in there but it just it's so underexplored and undernourished and uh like you like you said eddie like there's just it, it very short, very shallow. Yeah, it's like they've gone. They've tried to go in too many directions instead of um, focusing and and making something a little bit more fleshed out in any of those directions when when the story is concerned. So, I mean, to, to, to spoiler it slightly, like one of the big themes is is this kind of uh, idea of being shunned and discriminated. Um, you know, the whole. Uh, Family and 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 how they're treated by the people around them and and, and what happens and it's, you know it's, that's a topic which could really you can go into and really be interesting but like there's no exploration and there's no real understanding for what or why or how and you know like it just it's it's disappointing and um, I like I like being screwed around as much like by 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 a game like say Danganronpa for example I talked about that game, game critics but, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I, I, I like it, don't love it, but I, what I loved about it was that it screws around with you in, the, in all these kind of psychological ways. Uh, but there's some substance there as well. Like it's, it's got these themes and it, and it delivers it in a really interesting way, um, and makes you think about stuff. It makes you sort of question it, that kind of Bioshock thing. It makes you sort of question your agency and all these, you know, really cool things which I like games to do. But uh, it's all very superficial and evil within. It's that same kind of thing, but just super, super shallow. 
I guess that's what that's what Mikami does. That's what he it? does. I don't know if I why maybe I, I maybe I was foolish to accept more. Nah. Um, but you know, whatever. Like it's still it's still an okay game. Um and I I would happily play a similar sequel. Cool. Cool. So that's the evil within. Yeah. Um Jason, what have you been playing? Well, um I have been playing a lot of Halo the Master Chief collection. Ah. And that is pretty good, but I do have some issues. Well, firstly, it's for Halo fans, it's nostalgia central. Playing Halo 2 Anniversary online, I had a multiplayer session um, for the review with some developers uh, a couple days ago. And at one point, I made a comment about how I felt like I was back in high school because the game came out <laughs> my, my senior year of high school. And the one developer says, is, uh, is that a compliment? I said, no, absolutely. It absolutely is a compliment. It felt, mm-hmm. it felt like I was in my friend's basement around the corner from my parents' house with two or three guys shooting each other and having a great time. It, 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 I transported right back to those moments ten years ago. It was really cool. The new anniversary maps are awesome. They're just enough of Halo 2, the original, and just enough new elements to make them feel like something completely different, even though they're basically the same thing. And I really like them, too. Um, where my problem lies is I feel like a lot more attention was put on Halo 2 Anniversary, and it probably was because it's a 10-year revamp, than the rest of them. Where Halo 1 is as, as, as the anniversary that came out in 2011 or 12, I want to say. It's only been like a couple of years ago, isn't it? It's pretty yeah. recent, the anniversary edition. Right. So Halo 1 Anniversary, I think, was 2011. And then Halo 2 Anniversary is this year. So that's where it seems like those two games have all this attention put into them, all this time and effort. Whereas Halo 3 and 4 are basically just the same games as they were in 2007 and 2012, respectively, with a fresh coat of paint. And that's really glaring in Halo 3 specifically. Halo 4, 343 made themselves. So they knew what they could tweak, they knew what they had to go in and fix to make it for Xbox One to make it seem better and faster or whatever. But Halo 3 is like the kid who's being left behind in school. You know what I mean? It's that's really yeah. interesting. Of the four of them, that's the one that feels dated. But you, your explanation totally makes sense in terms of why, because they've been very open about saying Halo 2 was going to get the anniversary treatment and it was going to be like, you know, the big, the big remaster whereas yeah. everything else is going to be like graphically enhanced. And I saw a bit of what they did to Halo 4 at a preview event. And, you know, like, it's, like you say, it is a paint job, but there are like little things. There are little things that people will notice and go, ooh, that's kind of cool. You know, it's not just 1080p, 60 but There are little things. But you're, you're, I didn't really think about it, but your explanation of why Halo 3 would get shunned in that operation totally makes sense because that's the game that they can't just rip apart and, you know, make it theirs right like it, it it they could do that with halo 1 and halo 2 and halo 4 was theirs already but halo 3 was this black sheep of the family that they just couldn't maybe necessarily if they, uh, you know by, by what you're saying go in and, and do much with well i mean they could they probably could they could probably give it the same kind of treatment that maybe a halo 2 or halo 4 got the thing is they didn't have an excuse right halo 2 it's the anniversary halo 4 is their game so yeah. and they only made it two years ago so it's not like they have to go in and do a lot of work Halo 3 was probably a monumental task. Mm. And they probably thought to themselves, well, something's got to give here. And Halo 2 is 10th anniversary. 
Halo 4 is ours, and Halo 1 is basically done for us. We just need to bump up the graphics. Yeah. So, and also the fact that Halo 1 and 2 had a, a lot of headroom, whereas Halo 3 was already on last-gen's consoles. Right, but even then, the seven-year difference, even the five-year difference between Halo 3 and 4 is pretty insane. So yeah. that difference, that, that gap only widens when you bring them all to the current gen. Um, I will say this, playing Halo 2 Anniversary, at any time, even in cutscene, um, you can press, where's my controller here? It's the button that used to be select and now has windows on it. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> um, that button. That button, because they don't do start and select anymore for some reason. Of all the things to change about gaming, you change start and select, really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Got some strong opinions here. I can go behind that. That's like, I never thought of it that way. That was such a good point. Sorry, Karen. Um, <laughs> but... So you press this button, and the graphics change from anniversary to regular. and Just the, in an instant? Yes. Amazing. And the difference is uncanny. Especially, they, they retooled all of the cutscenes. They used to be in-engine, and you could move around while people were talking to you. Now the action stops, and it loads a cutscene made in the Halo 4 cutscene engine, I think, or in the upcoming Halo 5 cutscene engine. I'm not quite sure but they, 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 they're super detailed, and everything looks fantastic. And then you press this button, <laughs> and it's like you're back to everything. You're playing everything in a sewer, because that's how it was back then. Everything was gray and brown and not a whole lot of color. Someone's going to press that button by mistake <laughs> and start screaming. What the hell happened? $60? Like, what the hell? My this, game broke. This looked like a, a movie-quality uh, experience, and now all of a sudden it looks like crap again. <laughs> and then they're going to press the button and be like, oh, that's how that works. It's, it's very interesting to see the so difference cool. in 10 years ago when we all thought that 10 years ago it was the end-all, be-all. It looked great. It was, you know, it played awesome. And then now where the graphics are so much better. And I'm not usually a graphics guy. I'm not usually a visual guy. But the difference is just insanity. And I also, going back to the Halo 3 point for a second, it feels even more dated because Halo 2 doesn't feel dated. Halo 2 mm -hmm. looks better than Halo 3 now. Is that what you're yes. saying? Yes. Halo 2 uh, looks, looks better than Halo 3. It plays better than Halo 3 in this version. It just feels better than Halo 3. And maybe that's how it was back when there was 2004 and 2007. But right now, it's especially noticeable. And I don't know, unless there's completionists and achievement hunters out there, that anyone is going to touch Halo 3 after the first week. It's oh, gonna... I don't know. I mean, this it's... is the Halo community. <laughs> I, well, that's what I'm saying. People will get the achievements, and maybe they'll play Halo 3 you know, in a rotation or whatever. But the casual people who are playing Halo because they like Halo and they want to catch up before 5 comes out, they're going to, they're going to play through all the campaigns, and they're going to stick to 2's anniversary multiplayer and four, because really four is going to be the one that's going to be most like five, you would mm. figure, because three, four, three is making them both. And one, you just play one because it's one and you want to hear, you know, you want to go back to one for a second. But three, I really think is going to be ignored, at least in my house. So I, I've got a kind of sort of topical question uh, sure. for you, Jason, and, and Eddie, you can chime in as well. But like, so this week we've had, uh, it was N7 day yesterday, uh, which is... Yes. The day of the year that 
Mass Effect uh, Bioware developer have managed to make a, a holiday for <laughs> like Mass Effect. I don't know how that quite happened, but they've made so N Seven Day is when they sometimes release news and uh, talk, you know, have celebrations, whatever. And they were talking about uh, Jason throws a party that day. Yeah, I do. Yes. I do. <laughs> very, 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 very sad. Uh, no. I'm, Jason, I'm Jason Finelli, and that's my favorite day on the calendar. There you go. So, okay, so that this, I'll definitely throw this question to you then. So, Aaron Flynn, uh, you know, one of the leads of Bioware on the series, uh, went to NeoGAF, I believe, and was talking about, like, what what do fans want from a trilogy remake, right? Like, yes. what did they want? And um, he was talking about, like, you know, obviously 1080p, blah, 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 blah. But, like, you know, the idea of taking mechanics from one of the mass effects and putting them into another and all this kind of stuff and it makes me wonder like with all these remasters most of the time like people are playing super safe but would you like want a developer to say imagine like a, a you know with the upcoming i have no idea what's going on in the upcoming resident evil remake but what if mccormick turned around and said like you know actually it's going to be completely different in how it plays like i'm going to try and make it play like resident evil 4 like, what would you say to that? Like, <laughs> like so if it, so say with Mass Effect, for you know, like if he went and said, "I'm going to make Mass Effect One play like Mass Effect Two, like you're not going to have the uh, the buggy, you're going to have much more just sort of action combat. Uh, it's going to be much. Like, would you want that or would you not? Like, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I would love to try that. You know what I would want? I would love to try Mass Effect Two playing like Mass Effect One, but in a refined way, or just Mass Effect One playing like itself, but well developed. So you just want to play the entire Mass Effect series as a robot? Is that what you're saying? As like, <laughs> Clunky Shepard from 2007 with his pistol? <laughs> Here's no. what I would say to that. I would appreciate the option, but I don't want it to be the requirement. Does that make sense? Right. If there's a way to set... Like, Halo has this. Halo lets you set certain control scheme and then apply it to all four games. Interesting. Hmm. So, so I, they have different options that you can choose, like six or seven. You can choose inversion or whatever. And when you're done choosing, it'll ask you, do you want to associate this choice with every game? And you can press yes or no. So I play, I'm playing all four of these Halos like I play Call of Duty. Left sh- shoulder is aim, right shoulder is shoot on, on guns that can aim. Um, the grenade is right above, is on the bumper, right above the trigger for the gun. Uh, Crouching is the B button, right? Yeah, B. Uh, Sprinting is push down the left trigger. It plays just like Call of Duty because that's how modern shooters play now, and I can do that. Or I can go back... So every single button is configurable, a la time splitters? Not completely configurable. You can only configure them in there. They have like six or seven options, and it clearly lists what each of them do. You can't say that I want this button to do this. Or I want this button to do this. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? It's not that specific. But you can put it to your liking. Pretty pretty close to your liking. Cool. That's interesting. That actually makes me interested in, in trying it out. Because I really... I played Halo late. I played it like 2011, 10. That was the first time I played Halo. And I think I played Halo 3 first. Uh, and I found Halo's controls like just terrible to return to. As you know, like a 2010, 2011... Uh, you know, guy, like, it just felt like, what the hell is this thing? Like, what is going on with this controller? Why is this button doing this? It just felt really weird, but, like, maybe, you know, that kind of superficial thing of controls that I can customize and a prettier graphics, maybe I should 
Maybe I should actually check out the Master Chief Collection. And that might be, might be for me, actually. I mean, if... Jason, if someone wanted to get into Halo, this is obviously oh, absolutely. what they should do. Right? Absolutely. And I, part of me hopes that somewhere down the line they say, DLC, Halo Wars, just so they're all in one place. But um, cause Halo, Wars <laughs> Halo Wars is criminally underrated. ODST? But, oh, and Reach, too. Uh, and Reach. Mm, I, I take that back. But um, <laughs> I think, I feel like... Going back to the Mass Effect point, um, I feel well, well. Well, first, yes, this is the quintessential get into Halo. This is how you do it: play one through four, get the main story. If you want to branch off, that's fine. But this is what you should pay attention to most. Um, but going back to the Mass Effect point again, I think I would like the option more, like Halo does it, more than them saying, "Well, this is just going to happen. Deal with it." Because mm-hmm. as you know, as the community has proven, they don't like being told to deal with anything. Uh, <laughs> it's it's more it's it's the choice is nice. Will I play Halo, uh, Mass Effect One like I played Mass Effect Three? That control scheme, probably not. I don't know. Would I like the option of playing Three like Two? Yes, because I feel like that would be a pretty comparable thing. Um, but I think that having the choice would be more important than making a requirement. And if you can't have a choice, then don't do it. Mm. Mm. Either let people choose or don't put it in there. That's how I would feel about it. Okay, so all this, all this talk about these high-profile series, long-running series, has got me wondering. I know you're playing something else. Yep. And I know that you're a big fan. Yep. And I know that you can't say everything about it. Nope. But tell us a little bit about Smash. It's... <laughs> it's really pretty. <laughs> it's uh it's I played a stage when I first got it, the first stage I went to, and I lost to a level one computer because I was too busy watching the background. <laughs> and it's like, then, like are these like super dynamic backgrounds with a lot of stuff going on? Some of them are. There's one stage in this game that if you have four people playing, don't be surprised if you fall off at least once because there is so much crap going on and the platforms are always changing. Think of Poke Floats from Melee on steroids when you have this stage. <laughs> like, do your, so it's, it's a, it's, I think it, well, I don't know if it was revealed, so I don't want to say anything, but um, it, it's nuts. There's a ton going on. And um, anyone who's played the 3DS version and put a bunch of time in the 3DS version will feel right at home controlling it, A, because it lets you control the 3DS if you want, and B, it, it moves, all the characters move exactly the same. They, I don't know how they did it. I don't know what wizardry they used, but they moved 60 frames a second on the 3DS, and they moved 60 frames a second here, and it feels exactly the same, just with a more comfortable controller. So, so here's my question. I've got, I've got two. Um, on the graphics, like, on the Wii U scale of prettiness... Like, is this new Super Mario World, or is this, uh, sorry, Super Mario 3D World, or is this, uh, is this Mario Kart 8? Because Mario Kart 8, 8. I, Mario Kart 8. It, yeah. if it's that good, then that's, that's yeah. Mario, Mario Kart 8, 8 is a beautiful, beautiful game. Yes, this is, this is up there. And, and facial expressions. You would not think in Smash Brothers that these are important or they add anything, but facial expressions are awesome. Like when, when Mega Man does... Death stares. <laughs> they're not quite that. <laughs> it's not yet. But when Mega Man does his 
uh, throw, his gutsman throw. He'll pick the guy up, and if before you throw him, you can pummel them. And the pummel, he just grips. And when he grips, he grits his teeth, and he and he and he and he, you can see like his mouth opens, and you just see white because they don't know how to draw actual teeth, I guess. So, but but he's but he's like putting pressure on this guy, and you can see that he's struggling to do it. Um, King King DDD from or Day, however you say it, from Kirby is. He, he would win every facial expression acting contest ever because every attack that he does, he's gritting his teeth or when he gets hit, he's got these big eyes in his mouth. So it's just it's really interesting how nuanced and how specific they've gotten with certain things. And you feel like you're playing a Nintendo themed anime. Not quite that cartoonish. OK, but um, I could see people saying that. Yeah, sure. And. Some of these stages, I feel like, one stage in particular, which was revealed at the 50 Fact Extravaganza Direct they did a couple weeks ago, um, the Great Cave Offensive from Kirby, it's the biggest stage I've ever made. And it's the biggest friggin' stage I've ever seen in a video game. They, I, I purposely, I put two players on, and I put one in the bottom corner, and I put one in the top corner, just to see the entire stage. And... Our characters, I'm playing as Captain Falcon, who's a tall guy, and I set the other guy, it was random, and I think he was uh, Donkey Kong or something, I don't know. I can barely see Captain Falcon. Because <laughs> they scale the camera out just to put right. you both on one screen. I can barely see him up there. It's so big and so cavernous, in fact, and they mentioned this on the, on the video, too, that they had to put danger zones up on the walls. And if you hit the danger zone at over 100% damage, it kills you. Because there are mm. every section of this stage, you can't get out. So there's no way to hit someone off the stage. Oh. You know what I mean? So they, that's a way to get you back together with the other players? No, it's, 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 a way for, it's a way to score KOs without having to worry about you know, doing damage and then moving a guy to a place where you can knock him off. Mm -hmm. You can stay in that little cavern... And hit a guy into a danger zone and still get a kill. Oh, gotcha. It's, it's smart. It makes a lot of sense. And it makes matches on that stage go way faster than a match on, stay, say, how Hyrule Temple was in Melee. That stage was huge, too. And if you got caught in the middle there on that ramp and just hung out, you could fight forever. Right. Okay. Um, so that's... Oh, sorry, Karen. That's one. No, go ahead. I was, okay, I was just going to say, like, I know you can't say much, but right. second question... <laughs> And I'm going to put it. But in a, say it all. I, I'm going to make you. I'm going to give it to you in a way that hopefully you can you can answer. I'm one of those people who owns a Wii U and a 3DS, as a lot of us okay. do. Um, yes. Well, maybe some of us do. Um, and I decided to not get Smash 3DS because I wanted to get the Wii U version. Have I made a smart choice? No. Do you think no? No, but not because of their connectivity. Because yet while the cent while the game centrally plays the same. Um, there are things in the 3DS that you're not going to be able to get on the Wii U, specifically the Smash Run mode, which at first was tedious, but the more I played it, the more I started to enjoy it. And the stages. The stages on the 3DS are completely different. The only ones that carry over are Battlefield, Final Destination, the Boxing Ring, um, the one from Xenoblade Chronicles, and uh, uh, Mega Man stage. But even then, Mega Man stage on the 3DS is during the day, and here it's at night, which is a stupid difference. But everything else, and there are stages in that game that I want 
in the Wii U version. I want to see them in full 1080p HD. One of the stages in, in the 3DS version is Magic Hand from Earthbound. Mm. And it's amazing, even more so now, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, I want to see that in 1080p. They do Rainbow Road on the 3DS for Mario Kart 7. I want to see that in 1080p. I want to see those stages here. Not the stages here aren't great. There are some great new stages in this including one that was just revealed on the website a couple days ago from Yoshi's Woolly World, a game that's not even out yet. And mm. they look great. They look fantastic. But having played that since, you know, the middle of September when I got the review code, I want to see some of those stages now. You know what I mean? So if you could choose just one set of stages and features versus the other, which would you choose? Well, I haven't gotten into the Wii U-specific modes yet, so okay. I'll get back to you on that. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just want to take some of the 3DS stages and make them Wii U stages via, I don't know, DLC. But, yeah, I was um, going to say, do we think that that could happen? Of course it's going to happen. Like, <laughs> surely. Like, is, 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 is this not the whole point of why... They've differentiated exactly. the two modes. It's and, exactly why they've, and they've, they've already they've, you with them. They've already <laughs> set it up because all of the music that you find on the stages, there's like a hundred and some tracks in the 3DS version, is in this. Uh, just for other stages. So they could easily put those stages in and just associate the music with them. You know what I mean? Perfect. That's another thing. I don't know if I can say this, but the amount of music that this game starts with... No, yes I can, because Game Explain put a video up. The amount of music that this game starts with is uncanny. The Brawl soundtrack I had, I got, I acquired somehow. If you take all of the stage music, all of the victory music, all of the generic, like, trophy get sound effects and stuff like that, it was 337 tracks. Right? Wow. That was Brawl. This game, not including victory themes, not including those... um, whatever uh, those those uh, trophy get soundtracks but including like menu music and stuff like that s- starts with 323 and i've mm. yet to unlock a single music track i think that that's always been a big point about the smash brothers series though was that i think nintendo really focused on on the music oh, yeah, especially totally. you know everything's reorchestrated they would reveal the music it's like a big deal Here's how so that, I feel about great. here's how I feel about the Smash Brothers series, and I felt like this since day one. Smash Brothers is the Nintendo museum that they can't build. Yeah. And every time a new wing opens or a new game comes out, they can add more and more to the game that people can relive the history. Does that make well, sense? That's great. I, I, I kind of go with that, and I, I think what else it shows, and it shows the one thing Nintendo still has that Sony and Microsoft cannot do, is, and, and, and it's been proved, you know, Sony tried to do this. They, they had PlayStation All-Stars Battle, which was, you know, a bit of a dismal flop. Not because of how it played, I don't know how it played, but we know it didn't, you know, do great for the studio. It wasn't a, a big sales success. So, um, you know, Nintendo, but Nintendo can call against this huge library, uh, its brand, this, like, it's, it's a brand, you know, in the way that PlayStation can't, in in terms of its characters and games, like, you can't say that of PlayStation. You can't say that of Microsoft. Like, they have a few, but Nintendo has this whole, like, collection that it can actually put into this one game and really make it um, feel like it's got its own character and personality. It, it feels Nintendo. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree 100%. Absolutely. And, and so far, in the limited time that I've had with it, in the two days that since it's arrived at my house, I, uh, I'm glad I bought the... I'm glad I received the uh, lifetime pass to this museum. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, awesome. so I, I, my, my last question, question for the, both of you um, on, on Smash, like, do you think... This, to me, feels a lot like Last Chance Saloon for the Wii U in terms of, like, the library that it's got coming up. Like, this feels like the game it needs to make a big impact. Do you, do you guys see it, like, having a significant impact on console sales? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it could... Yeah. It could just because of melee and brawl were so popular, even with like, like what I have, what I think reporters sometimes have trouble doing is taking themselves out of the mindset of the reporter and putting themselves in the mindset of the kid and the parent and what the kid wants. The kid's going to see this after playing brawl on Wii because let's face it, every kid had a Wii. He's going to see this new game and be like, they made a new one, or see a commercial, or see a trailer on YouTube, or PewDiePie will play it, or something like that. And they'll see it and say, holy crap, there's a new Smash Brothers out. And then, top of the list, boom, there it is. You know what I mean? And then they have to jump onto the console. Why they haven't announced the console bundle yet, I have no idea. I don't know what they're waiting for. Just do it. Uh, Yeah. Go ahead. I think the Wii U has a great library of Nintendo games, and I don't see, you know, why, why anyone should think that it doesn't. Like they've just been adding game after game that are their big hitters in the Nintendo library, and maybe people were just waiting for this last one, and now, now you get it. Say you get it for Smash Brothers, you still have five other games that are so Nintendo and and really good to play. So now is you know is a better time than any to get a Wii U, especially you know with the holiday season coming up. It's it's kind of perfect, right? And I I do uh, think though, I do <laughs> I do think though that if if for whatever reason Smash falters or doesn't do as much as they want them to, it'll put Nintendo on the ropes. But they still have one knockout punch in Zelda. Oh, I thought you were going to say uh, you were going to Magic. say Captain Falcon's standalone game or something. I don't know. No, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny. It, but, it's interesting but I, that Zelda hasn't come yet. Like that's the interesting thing. That is, it, it's kind of weird actually that the console launched without a Zelda. That seems weird to me in a lot of ways. Not, not necessarily. I mean, the Wii launched with Twilight Princess, but the GameCube didn't get a Zelda until two years after it launched with the Wind Waker. The sixty-four took two or three years for Ocarina of Time. Uh, Super Nintendo, I was too young, I don't remember. But, um... I, I agree with... I, well, I agree with... Took two years. Yeah, so, I mean, this one will take three years from launch of Wii U to now, or till it launches in 15, if it makes 15, because who knows. Um, so, I, I see your point, that if with a system that's going to be radically different than your other one, in order to differentiate, you have to put a... a a series on there, and that I think was Nintendo's biggest problem was their launch lineup for this system. Yeah. If their launch lineup is better, no one complains about it. There's never. Could any- you imagine? Could you imagine the world, the the, the way that the landscape would be if if Splatoon was a launch game for Wii U? Because to me, that has all the hallmarks of a Wii Sports. Like it just, it's one of those games where you can pick it up, you get it, and you get why you're doing it with this thing. Like it makes sense all of a sudden. Like it actually yeah. makes gamepad make a bit of sense, which is weird. Yes. 
Um, and I've not really found a game yet that's done that. Even a few, like a little bit, like Zombie U to an extent, like Pikmin to an extent, but like not the same way we get Splatoon. It's like, oh, this is the way, this is why you get the Wii U. Like, this makes sense to me now. I agree. And you know what? This game that I'm playing now that I can't really talk about has a <laughs> a thing that makes the Wii U gamepad make a bit of sense. And they did, they revealed this in the 50 Facts, too. The, uh, the Stage Builder is mm. back from Brawl, and but this time, using the gamepad, you can actually draw platforms. Oh, wow. Draw a stage. So, like, if you go to a Nintendo... Yeah, exactly. So if you go to Nintendo Force Magazine, uh, their Twitter account, the first stage that they made was a replica of 8-Bit Link with his sword out. They just drew 8-Bit Link and his sword and then put material in the frame, and they made a stage. It's, hmm. it's, it's pretty cool. I haven't done it yet, but it, it hmm. looks really cool. No, I'm definitely so, going to be getting smashing. Bayonetta 2 as well, like, for all, for all I hear is an amazing game as well. I, like, I reviewed fun. that. I reviewed that. Um, Bayonetta 2, uh, normally I would say if you're tired and you want to play a game, maybe drink some coffee or drink an energy drink or something like that to perk you up before you start playing. You don't have to do that with Bayonetta 2. <laughs> um, Bayonetta 2, you just plug it in, and all of a sudden it's like, stuff things! Fight! Yeah. And you're like, okay! And then three hours later, it's five in the morning, and you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> I, that is my like life the is... total impression I got from the demo is like, oh, that was quick. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it right? was that fun, you know. Yeah, it's fun. It, that's that's definitely. Nintendo has a lineup. It's there. They just need to find a way to let people know. And games like Smash Brothers and Mario Kart will do that. Hopefully. Mm. Okay. So, let's go to the other end of the spectrum from from uh, this fun social bright and colorful Nintendo game to a game that is called Isolation. <laughs> Literally called Isolation. <laughs> so, I'm super interested in playing this game, and I just haven't gotten to it, but Sinan, you've been playing it, so... I mean, I I, I was super lucky enough, um, I mean, I'm lucky enough, I was a bit of a cliche thing, but I did, it, it was cool to be there um, when we went to go uh, to visit the developer, Creative Assembly, uh, here in the UK, and and um, see them unveil this game that they've been working on. We all knew they were working on an alien game, right? We knew that, that that's what was going on. But so then they unveiled it and they said, we're going to go for this authentic thing that's really going to tie into the first alien movie. Um, it's, you know, and... It, it's going to be a proper stealth game. Like they were like they we um, it, it, they were saying it, it hasn't made sense to us that no one's made alien stealth game like this. The travesty that was Aliens versus Colonial Marines. People go, oh yeah, maybe like Ugh. that would make sense. Like maybe maybe someone should do that. Really, um, and it, and it was a, I it was that simple premise that impressed me and the level of authenticity they were going for. Um, you know, like they were really wanted you to make you feel like you were on a ship that was like the Nostromo. Um, and, you know, to the extent where you, you are using cassette recorders, right? You are, the, the walls have the same kind of weird seventies feel to them. Like it's, 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 and if you are an alien buff, like you are going to love how this game looks. It, it, it's one of those sort of, it's a really unique look. And I'm not just saying like it, it's trying to be retro in a way like say Bioshock has this kind of 60s uh, vibe to it. Like it's not, it's not trying to do that. It's trying to do what Alien did, which was be futuristic, but in the same 70s sort of material way. Um, 
and it, it and it's it's absolutely brilliant in terms of its authenticity. So let's get that out of the way. Like I think any if you if you love Alien, you're going to love that aspect of it. In terms of how it plays, so it has uh, the same Evil Within problem that I was talking about earlier. It has the same save file problem, um, which is uh, a bit of a shame. That's that's one blight against it. Uh, the pacing is a bit weird. That's another blight against it. But where it excels for me, and uh, it's what I wanted from this game, is when the actual you're on you, you to, to to just to, to kind of prelude. You play as Amanda Ripley. You're playing as uh, Ellen Ripley's daughter, and you're going to the space station uh, where you are looking for this audio recording uh, from the Nostromo, um, and obviously. Yes, it, yeah, things go slightly wrong, and uh, it turns out that this place is being uh, attacked by an alien. Let's put it that way, um, uh, an alien which is very similar to the one from the first movie. Um, and oh, so for the first sort of three hours, sorry. Oh, so he's an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> he's 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 not he's not the best guy. Uh, he's not he's not great. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the so for the first sort of first three hours you're kind of just getting used to this to this area and it's you know understanding why is an emergency and, and 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 stuff and then the alien turns up and the game is just so much better when the alien is around like the, the, this is what I wanted from this game was it to be a proper hide and seek stealth game like not you know where you are sort of cowering behind and you know hoping to not get noticed like you actually genuinely have to go and hide for a bit and be cautious and be patient and wait and take your opportunity then to go and try and get past this thing. And um, I think it succeeds almost, it it gets a few things wrong, but it succeeds to the point where I, as someone who finds games to never really honestly get that tense from them, like I'm there like thinking, fuck, 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 just stay away, go away, go away, fuck, fuck, go away. Like I'm really getting angry like, with this alien for hanging around and, and, and still being around. So, and, and I think what, what's the beauty of it is, is how they use the, um, the motion tracker. If you remember from the first movie, that the, they rustle up this motion tracker thing to try and find where the alien is. And, and the, in the game, you get a more advanced version of this motion tracker, which has, it's a bit like a radar. Um, and so you're using it, it'll tell you where your objective is with a kind of block line, which is one of the best objective markers, by the way, and I played in the game, that it actually does tell you which way to go rather than just saying, oh, it's that way. Like, it tells you, like, you need to go left at this turn and right at this turn. It doesn't just go, oh, it's vaguely that way. So that's one good thing. Um, but it also tells you where, the, where some activity is. So you'll see a dot blip up on the thing. And you have to be pointing this motion tracker in the right way. So if you're not pointing it up, for example, you'll miss the alien being above you in the vents. If you're not pointing it down, you'll miss it being below you in the vents. If you're not pointing it in the right direction, you might miss that it's coming up behind you. You'll hear that your thing go like, it'll make a noise saying there's motion, but you might not show up on your thing. So you'll know that you're looking the wrong way, but there's something. So it just, it it's, I will imagine some people find it frustrating and will find it annoying in terms of like, it's just a bit too much of a stealth game. Uh, but if you do like stuff and I don't even think I like stealth that much, uh, like it just, it has this unique hide and seek feel to it. And, uh, I'm at a stage now, uh, spoilers, um, big spoilers. I've tried to keep this as, as on spoiler as possible, but, uh, cut out the next half minute. If you don't want to know, um, there is a point where the, 
alien. You seem to escape the alien. Um, sort of, I think, 10 or 11 chapters in. Um, and obviously it's going to come back. Like, it's going to come back. <laughs> you know, it's not going to stay away. And I'm just, uh, I've reached a bit where, you know, you have this kind of lull and you are um, doing other stuff. Like, you have, there's still a kind of stealthy feel, but you're, you know, trying to shoot other survivors or, or you know, the androids have gone wrong and things like that. And those all tend to make sense in the narrative. I don't want to spoil too much, but the, it does feel like it, 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 it's not just contriving these situations for you. There's, an under, there's a reason for why things are fucked up here on this space station. But I've stopped playing because I know that I want what I really want is the alien back. So I've kind of, you know, that's maybe one problem I have with it. It's just like those bits feel so much better when you, especially when it kind of intermixes things and you have the alien and you also have some droids going around or you have some other survivors going around. And the best thing, the worst, it's the best, the worst thing that I've done is um, like, I sometimes use the other survivors as uh, as distractions for the alien to go and kill, and like, I, and I run away behind them. Like, well, he's gonna, he's like, run, 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 and like, literally, you've got about like three or four seconds as he's murdering some poor guy who just was doing nothing, and you're running fast to get him. Like, you've got about four seconds before he'll go. Oh wait, you're there too. Um, and the other great thing about it, because of, of how the alien is, he can't. You know, he's he's, he's got these sensors. He's not using sight. Um, if you just, there are moments where he'll be in the room, just suddenly he'll pop out from the ceiling, pop down next to you, and you are just there, stuck still, thinking, "Fuck, just I hope he doesn't know I'm here." And like, I can't think of having that feeling in a game. I've, it's not, I've not had that in a game. Like, just literally, just staring, like, "Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit," and just you're hoping, you're kind of helpless, and. I want more games to make me feel like that. So that's where I think Alien Isolation is a big win. It's not, there are definitely problems, and I'm, it's not, probably not even going to be one of my top five games this year, but I think it really stands out as a unique game from this year. Nice. Did You played uh, Amnesia The Dark Descent, right? No, and I think that's where maybe people, ah. people go, oh, you haven't played Amnesia. Right. A lot of people do compare it to Amnesia. and I want to, it's It Amnesia, sounds a lot like it. it. It's made me want to go and play Amnesia. Uh, I, know I've, I've, I know a lot of people made that connection very early on. And, and so maybe in that aspect, I'm just late to the Amnesia party. But I think you've got to, even if I am, there's that alien aspect to it and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that lore and that feeling of authenticity. So I, I and it's, in terms of how it looks, like, it, you know, you've, this is not like, you know, uh, an independent game. This is a game that had a lot of love put into it. Like, you can yeah. really appreciate it from that aspect as well. Sounds fantastic and super scary. <laughs> I mean, it definitely gets things wrong. I mean, I, I don't want... It's difficult without getting to, into spoilers. Um, but, you know, there are problems with it as well. Um, like, I would, the non-spoilery one is that um, it's a little too easy once you get the flamethrower to use mm-hmm. that as a sort of get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, because you'll fry it, you'll 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 use it against the alien, and it will scurry away. And it, and if you do overuse it, the alien becomes less vulnerable to it, and you know you will need like three or four blasts. But it still feels a little bit like, you know, if you're really screwed, just get the flamethrower out. And even but even then, like you will get things wrong and get killed by the alien. But I, I, that was the one sort of thing where I thought, well, that, they've kind of got the balance wrong on the flamethrower a little bit. Like it should be just you should need a real huge, like, five, six seconds of sustained flamethrowing to get this thing to go away from you. But, of course, like, they have to be true to the to the, to the series, and the aliens really don't like fire. Like, that's the thing, right. so... 
Um, maybe it was a mistake even including the flamethrower. I don't know. That, that That's how I felt about it. Yeah, sometimes giving you too much power in a horror game can really break the, yeah. the feeling of it. Totally. Well, how, uh, how long into the game do they give it to you, would you say? Uh, I think it's like um, about midway. Okay. Uh, and this is a very long game, too, it right? It is a very, very long game. I think it's, it, does, it does feel a little bit too long as well. That might be a thing against it. Like it's, it I think it's approaching the 16 or 17-hour mark, and I think if it, it could have been Ow. 12 or 11 and done what it's done, and maybe this bit at the end... I've seen a few reviews and they said like it's you know it feels like it drags on a bit and maybe that's where I'm stuck now in this drag on bit so mm. I can't give you the full impressions but there certainly have been like you say reviews which have acu- uh, criticised it for just dragging on a little bit too long um, but hey if you you know maybe that's maybe you can just play it the way I've played it and stop where I am because that's it's been a good that's it. to this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it sounds it sounds like a good game if flawed um, which yeah. is great. At least something worth trying, for sure. I, it, it, to me, it stands out amongst a lot of very yeah. similar games. Cool. Cool. Well, I think uh, I think we're just about out of time. We were going to note... I mean, we could just say it. Jason just played Earthbound. Yeah. We were going to uh, talk about that time. a little, but, but we're kind of running out of time. Maybe we'll talk about that another time, because I could dedicate a whole show to that game. <laughs> yeah, I haven't played it ever, 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 so I can... Oh, I no. can uh, I should go play that too. Yeah, do that and come back. And yeah, I'll do that. Let's do that. Well, Jason, just uh, thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, thumbs up through the ceiling. Games <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Okay. It's one of the best ever made, in my opinion. Um, I've cool. everything I've said, haven't I, by just admitting that I haven't played Earthbound yet. <laughs> what the yep. Just get off the show. <laughs> go home. No. Well, Actually, I've, al- yeah. I've always been like a Nintendo champion. They've always been like... Mike, like everyone claims loyalty to act to Microsoft, Sony. If I had to claim loyalty, I'm not supposed to, but it would probably be Nintendo. Uh-huh. Um, and the fact that I hadn't played Earthbound was really like a scar on my record. I had to do it. Well, good work. And I'm glad well, I, I did. I think I that loyalty to the... oh, sorry, no, carry on. <laughs> What'd you say? I was gonna say I was gonna say I pledged my loyalty to the Amiga. <laughs> that's like I can't not even name joking. a single Amiga name game. Ah, oh, and now I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, the Amiga rocked. Hipster. <laughs> Sin is a console hipster. Next is going to tell us that the Atari Jaguar is a is a feat of technological genius. Okay, come on. I have some sense. Let's let's uh-huh. let's not go crazy. <laughs> Do you keep a virtual boy on your nightstand and <laughs> play a little bit every night before bed? I have a virtual boy at home. Not going to lie. I haven't uh, touched in 10 years, but I do own one. Well, it's a nice sculpture. <laughs> it makes it's for like, a great centerpiece. I, it does make you look a bit like a stalker, though, if you just leave it around. It's like, what the hell is this thing? It's like, no, 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 I'm not a stalker. I'm just a weird guy who owns this thing that I got from America, which doesn't, it's crap. No, I'm not a stalker. I'm just the owner of a bag. Handheld. I like the color of red. (laughs) Yeah, I just really love red. I love love the color red, so whenever I look in this, everything is red. It's it's what I was put on this earth to own. Awesome. All right, so so that's it. Jason, tell us uh, where people can find you. Uh, they can find me on uh, ArcadeSushi.com a lot. I write things and stuff. Uh, here at GamerNote, obviously, I write things and stuff. Twitter, 
Big Man Finelli. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's it. Eagles games. Well, I don't go to Eagles <laughs> games, but I go to I go to functions, <laughs> Eagles related functions in my Nintendo sixty four Eagles replica jersey. Awesome. So, Can you say uh, where we'll find your review of a certain game that you were talking about? Uh, both games that I talked about today that technically aren't out yet as of taping, but will be by the time one of them will be by the time it launches, um, will be on Arcade Sushi. Arcade sushi. Okay. Arcade sushi. Eat it. Well, I mean, read it while you're eating sushi for the full experience. In an awesome. arcade. In an arcade. Well, <laughs> in an arcade while eating Otherwise, sushi. Reading my review. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. I'll, perfect. I'll do that next week. And and how about you, Sinan? Where where are we finding you? Uh, so I am uh, on Twitter under my full name, Sinan Kuba. Um, you'll also find me at joystick dot uh, com with a Q. At the end, rather than the CK, and uh, I do a bit of new stuff there, and we'll be having our end of the year stuff, so that you might see me talking a bit more about some of these games there. Cool, and you host a podcast too, don't you? Oh, which you were just on, which just went live. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. Don't tell anyone. Edit this bit. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to get crucified for forgetting. Yes, I do host the GameCritics.com podcast. Uh, We just had an episode with you uh, and and, uh, a lovely woman called Anne Lee, who runs a site called ChickPixel, and and Rich and I, my co-host, and we talked uh, about a lot of things, including Oculus. And, uh, uh, you know, there's this kind of interesting discussion about, uh, you know, the future of gaming and whether, whether you think Oculus will be a big part of it. So check that out at GameCritics.com. Awesome. Cool. Well, very cool. Um, as for GamerNode, it's GamerNode.com, and uh, this is the Versus Node podcast. We'd love it if you like what you hear to um, give, us a, give us a like or five-star rate, shout. whatever, whatever on you iTunes. do on, on the iTunes. Review us. Say something nice. Uh, don't say anything bad. We don't like that. Don't be honest if you hate us. Just just don't do anything. Tell us if you don't you have um, something nice to say. <laughs> exactly. Don't. No, no, I mean, and you're welcome to email us, um, versusnode at gamernode.com with any questions, anything you want to hear us talk about, anything you're wondering, any critique, any comment, or whatever. Um, and we're also on Stitcher. You can do all those same things, too, if you're not in uh, Apple's clutches. Um, <laughs> you're not in Apple's grimy mitts <laughs> just, just saying um, yeah so uh, stay tuned we'll have another show up hopefully a lot a lot uh, sooner with as little bit of delay as we can compared to between last show and this show and um, we'll see you next time yeah. thanks guys for, for being here and thanks for listening everyone you're welcome thanks bye for bye 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 <laughs> <Bye-bye. laughs>